new beginnings. Our heart needs new beginnings. I was reading about the fellow who invented the reboot system on the computer. That's a beautiful uh, feature, isn't it? You press control, alternate, delete, and everything is undone. All your file mistakes, your errors, and the implications. You just press these three buttons, and the computer starts all over again as if you didn't mess up. That's a beautiful feature. We need things like that, don't you? Have you ever wanted to do that with your day? <laughs> Where's the review button on my day? Uh, you know, how, do I, how do I undo this? And then as those days add up in your life, you start asking yourself, can I start over? Where's the reboot button on my life? I'm dealing with problems that I've never wanted, and yet here I am dealing with it. How do I undo all these things that I've done? You know, we come across Easter, and, and that seems to be the message in the very seasons, isn't it? Of, of the dead trees coming to life, of flowers coming up, uh, it's just seeing a whole new, fresh landscape filled with all of its colors. It seems in the very fabric of fa- fabric of nature that uh, that there's a new beginning. So, how do you have a reboot, a new beginning, spiritually speaking? I, I just want to share with you that's part of what Easter is about is that there is provided for you a reboot system for your spiritual life. And uh, it's, it's marked by the word forgiveness. Forgiveness, which, interesting enough, happens to be what we're talking about for this next week in our Seeking Him study, but is also a huge theme of the resurrection and the cross of Christ. And so I want to um, bring this message to you in two angles. One is uh, our need for forgiveness, our need for a reboot, but also our message that we declare of forgiveness. That means that we must just do more than declare, but we also demonstrate forgiveness. This is a part of seeking Him. It's a part of God seeking us. Uh, so forgiveness is critical. And so I'm going to ask that you turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 23, we're going to look at a couple passages, uh, one in chapter 23, and then we're going to go to the next chapter in uh, chapter 24. We're going to focus on uh, Luke 23, verse 34. We're going to read that one statement of, of seven of which Jesus states on the cross, and then we're going to look at the resurrection appearance in the next chapter. Now, if you don't mind me on Easter morning uh, going in two directions, I want to spend a little time on Friday and Jesus on the cross, and then we're going to spend a little bit on today and Jesus' resurrection and the message he declared. And so we'll, we'll do that. If you remember on the cross, as, as was been sung for us and uh, declared to us through the choir and through Dan, uh, it was a tragic scene. It was a, a devastating scene for the disciples to see Jesus on the cross. And there's so many things you can bring out how uh, God declared himself on the cross. In fact, just one of the four Roman soldiers that was standing there uh, got the message and realized this is not just a normal human being. This isn't just a terrorist or criminal that's been put on the cross. This is the Son of God. 
I don't know what gave it away. Maybe it was the, the earthquake. Uh, maybe it was the, the hours of darkness that occurred. Um, and maybe it was some of the things that Jesus was saying on the cross. On the cross. And so if you will stand with me as we read Luke 23, verse 34. And then we'll skip over to the next chapter, chapter 24, and read verse 44 through 47. So while being on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Then one page over, chapter 24. In fact, let me just start reading with verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I and myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. You may be seated. So talking about forgiveness, we first want to look at how forgiveness is exemplified on the cross. And then we'll see how forgiveness is mandated by the resurrection. Forgiveness exemplified on the cross. It's important that Jesus stated what he did on the cross. And let me tell you why. It was several days before when Jesus was giving his teachings uh, to the disciples. One of the things that he taught was loving people. He said, in fact, not just loving anybody... Loving everybody, but especially loving your enemies. Loving your enemies. And so, in fact, I just want to read to you one such passage in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. You know, Jesus is not just one of these teachers that tells you how to act and then doesn't do it himself. It was important for Jesus, as he was giving these teachings, to be able to exemplify that which he was in teaching. And so, when the time came in his life when he would be abused, when he would be hit, when he would be scourged, when he would be put upon the cross, when you would expect people to lash out in anger because he was innocent though all this punishment was coming, you see him exemplify exactly what he was teaching earlier. He says, you know what? Here I am on the cross. 
and these people are, are hurting me, they're abusing me, so I'm going to pray for them. And I'm going to bless them even as I'm dying on the cross. That's huge. All right? That is huge. That is not normal behavior. And perhaps maybe this was one of the signs that caused the Roman soldier to, to acknowledge that this was not just a man. And so as he, he hears this, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He is giving blessings. He's praying to his, his father at that time. Say, God, these soldiers, these people involved, they're not even fully aware. They're just carrying out orders and they're carrying and they're murdering people. And they're murdering me and they don't even realize who I am. And what I've done, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now understand, there would have been varying degrees of guilt here. Uh, There were those who were the Pharisees and the priests who had known the scriptures, had seen the testimonies of Jesus. They were at a greater degree of guilt. In fact, there were some of these who Jesus declared would not be able, would not be able to turn to Christ and see the forgiveness of sin because of how they blasphemed against the Spirit of God. And so there are various degrees of, the guilt, of guilt here, but he's saying, and I believe to the soldiers at this day and time, look, this is, gonna, this is happening, but God, will you forgive them if they will turn to you? See, Isaiah 53, verse 12 states, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death that was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many, and makes, makes listen, intercession for the transgressors. You know what the Bible tells us that Jesus is doing right now as part of his ministry? The book of Hebrews, as well as 1 John, talks about Jesus being an intercessor. He is praying for us. He's praying on our behalf before God the Father. And you wonder, well, is Jesus really praying for me? Listen, if Jesus is praying for the ones who are crucify him, don't you think he's also praying for you? He is interceding on your behalf that you will turn to the Father, that you will repent of your sin, that you will take the grace of God given to you, and that you will live for Him and love Him. He is constantly interceding on your behalf for that end. And so if He's doing this to the soldiers, He's doing this also to you. Peter was looking back on this day and says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to Him who judges justly and so he commits his soul to the father and along the way he says to god the father father or no he doesn't even say father he says my god my god why have you forsaken me interesting jesus prays to forgive the soldiers do you realize that as jesus was praying by his sacrifice he was fulfilling the prayer When he came to the point, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When God says Jesus has turned into the sin of these soldiers, when Jesus has turned into your sin, Jesus says, God, you are forsaking me. This is in the very answer to the prayer he just prayed for them to be forgiven by God. And so he enables the prayer through his cross, through the death on Jesus. You need to understand that when we talk about new beginnings, we're talking about a spiritual rebuke. When we're talking about being forgiven, it is required for God to forgive us that punishment must go out because He's a just God. Punishment must go out for our sin, for our selfishness. Jesus takes that 
place. Why is Good Friday called good? You think, what's so good about it? Jesus, the Savior, was crucified. What's so good about that? That would have been tragic. Here's what's so good about it, is that he was crucified in such a way that he became my sin. He became my sin that I could be right with God. And that is good. It's good for me. It's good for God. It glorifies God. It glorifies Jesus. And so we see the price paid for forgiveness Forgiveness exemplified on the cross. And so, just knowing this, let's go just three days later on that Sunday, what this day represents, to our passage in chapter 24, verse 44 especially. You know, up to this point this morning, Jesus would have come across Mary and the ladies, seen the empty tomb. We would have the angels announcing, Jesus isn't here, he's risen just as he said. And they run out. Mary, running, crying, comes upon Jesus, doesn't recognize him. And Jesus, with the word, Mary, recognition comes. Tells Mary, go tell the other disciples. Tell Peter. They go running. Peter and John, hearing the news, go running back to the tomb, seeing for themselves that it's empty. And then we have given to us in this passage that Along the way to Emmaus, two men are going, two disciples, and Jesus comes alongside of them. They don't recognize him. He explains to them why it is that Jesus had to die, why, why these sufferings had to be. And as they get to Emmaus, he blesses the bread, and as he blesses the bread, their eyes are open to see who he is. And once they realize it's Jesus, they come running back to Jerusalem, running back to the disciples, and they're gathering together. And that's where they find themselves here in verse 36. And Jesus appears to them in this crowd and says, Peace to you. And has a little, little food with him, a little meal. And he just invites him to touch him. He says, I'm not just a ghost. I'm not a spirit. I am flesh and blood. I have risen from the dead. But what gets me is the message he tells them in verse 44. Some believe that this message from verse 44 down to verse 48 is maybe perhaps a summary of all that Jesus taught the disciples. The Bible tells us that he was there in resurrected form for 40 days with the disciples, teaching them along the way. And so that perhaps maybe this is a summary, but at the very least, this is also the initial message that he is giving the disciples. What, what is it that Jesus rises from the dead to tell the disciples? All right, so we've got it right here. Verse 44. You understand, all these things that you've seen were prophesied by Scripture. I'm about to give you a message, and the source of this message is in the Scriptures himself. Jesus, being the Son of God, understood the importance of conforming to the Word of God. How much more we, his disciples, must conform to the Word of God and what he says. We don't look for spiritual experiences that trump the Word of God. We conform to the Word of God, and the Scripture's there. And he says, notice in verse 44, Moses and the prophets... And the Psalms must be fulfilled. And verse 45, he opened up their minds to understand scriptures. Do you know that for us to understand scripture, it's a spiritual activity? When you read the word of God on your own, pray. And ask God, help me to understand what I'm about to read. And help me not just to understand, help me to apply and obey what I read. It is a spiritual work of God that is done. And so Jesus opens up their minds... You know, they had been with them three years, but it took a spiritual opening up their eyes for them to understand the scriptures. 
In verse 46, thus is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Because all the way from Moses to the prophets, Elijah, Ezekiel, to the Psalms, they all point to this. Remember when we studied in Genesis? Genesis 3 verse 15 talks about the, the implication of the sin. And there he says there would be one, the seed of woman, who would come, the seed of Eve, who would have their uh, heel bruised but would crush the serpent's head. It had the idea that there would be a deliverer over sin, a deliverer over Satan, who would do so through a wounding. All the way back from Genesis 3.15, all throughout the scriptures, in Psalm 22 and others, it is pointing to this one time. And so Jesus says, you want the cliff notes of the Old Testament? I'm it. I'm the cliff notes of scripture. I am the summary of it all. And so from Genesis all the way up to the Old Testament, it points to who Jesus would be, how the Messiah would come, how he would have to be suffered, how he would die, how he'd rise again as the suffering servant. They point to him. The Gospels tell about him. And then from Acts all the way up to Jude, talks about the implications of Jesus. And Revelation is a revelation of Jesus to come. And so they all point to Jesus Christ and he's telling them that it's all about me. And so verse 46 is written that Christ must suffer. It is written that repentance should be proclaimed. Do you know that Jesus' first message to the disciples to declare in Matthew 4, 17 was repent, repent. That was his first message. That was his middle message. And that's his lasting message. It's still the same. You know what that means, to repent? It means to turn to God. Turn away from yourself. No longer live as though you are a king and and the only one that matters. That's how we're born, you know. Turn from that and turn to God. The idea of saying that I want a savior but I don't want a king is not the gospel. The idea of the saying, I want to be removed from the penalty of sin, but I don't want to be removed from sin. I don't want to go to hell, but I want to live how I want to. That's not the gospel. It is turning to Christ. It is turning to God. And so he says, repent. It is written that repentance should be proclaimed. And then, verse 47, it is written that forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. What's the implication of, Christ, of, of Easter? What's the mandate of the resurrection? If, if forgiveness is exemplified on the cross, forgiveness is mandated by the resurrection. Jesus says, the very first message to the disciples, you're going to go and you're going to proclaim repentance and you're going to proclaim forgiveness. Notice where. He says, you're going to do this. You're going to proclaim repentance. You're going to proclaim forgiveness. In his name, it's only through Jesus Christ, to all the nations, all the people groups. But notice, beginning, beginning from where? Jerusalem? Well, but Jesus, you know, Jesus, you were just crucified there. No, no not, not there. Among the Jews? I mean, the ones who falsely accused you and put you on the cross? Beginning from Jerusalem. You know what that tells me? You start with the worst of sinners. <laughs> you start with the origin of it all. Where the ones were, cru- were crucified Jesus. Those who had hatred in their hearts. Who were power hungry so much so that they wanted to slaughter Jesus. You start with them. You tell them how Jesus rose again. You tell them how they need to repent and turn to God. And you tell them how they can be forgiven for their sins. Even though those may have been first hand involved 
and crucifying Christ. They get to hear first that there is forgiveness. So you can imagine John. The Bible tells us that John was the only disciple that stood and watched it all. All the others fled, betrayed, left him in some degree. John, he gets this message. He sees that Roman soldier that pierced him with the spear to see if he was dead. He sees the other ones that were, the, the four that were gambling over the garments. He sees the, the crowd of people that were jeering at Jesus while he was at the cross and, and says, if you're so great, why don't you save yourself? And John gets the message by Jesus. You go to those people and tell them that there is forgiveness. That there is repentance that's needed. But there is forgiveness. Do you think that John could do that unless he first also forgave them? Could John say, you know what, God forgives you, Jesus forgives you, but me, on the other hand, I don't know. You, you know, you took down my, my friend, <laughs> you took down my Lord. <laughs> you realize that one of the problems of the Crusades and one of the huge black marks against Christianity was that believers thought for a while, or Christians, uh, so-called claimed Christians, believed for a while that they ought to punish the Jews. And let's push them down because they're the ones who crucified Jesus. Do we not get the idea from Jesus? He told us to go to them and proclaim to them first forgiveness and repentance. And then he says, you start with the Jerusalem. You start where, where it's worst. Where they themselves are firsthand the worst of sinners. And then you go to all the nations. You go to all the nations. You know the name nations, it's not uh, geographical you know, go to Turkey. Turkey didn't exist back then. Uh, you know, you, you go to the people groups, the, the, the languages. You go to them, and you go to how many of them? You go to all the nations. He's talking to the disciples. If he was alive today, or he is, if he came bodily to us today, rather, what would he say? I would say that he would say the same thing. You, go to all the nations, proclaim, proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sin. And we'd look at him and say, well, Jesus, you know, surely, not, not me, you know. That, I'm not called. Jesus, I'm calling you. What are you waiting for? I'm calling you. Well, I'm not, I had not gone to seminary. Well, what else do you need besides Jesus? the Spirit of God to teach you these things. None of these disciples went to seminary. Alright? Well, you know, that would be an inconvenience. Jesus, give me five. Give us a hand. Can we talk about inconvenience? Alright? The problem is that all our excuses fade before Jesus. And they're made up for what they are. It's the skin of a reason. Stuff of a lie. And we realize, he's talking to me. So, when I hear this, and I see what Jesus says on Sunday of that resurrection day. He says, I want you to go to the nations, proclaim forgiveness, proclaim repentance. It's been written that this is to be. Just as it's been written that I would die and rise again on the third day. This is fulfillment of, of the word of God. 
When, Jesus, when God says, I will build my church, start here in Jerusalem, you go to the worst of worst, you go to all the nations, do so in the name of Jesus Christ. So what does that mean for us right now? That means if there are people groups around us, our main mandate as a church is to proclaim repentance and proclaim forgiveness. You, you heard a little bit about Hadrid Elementary School. I was talking with one of the, uh, the teachers there uh, not too long ago. I was asking him about the English as a second language statistic. I had heard, seen that it was about 25 to 30% um, were involved in English as a second language. And I was asking about that. She said, well, you know, that's not totally accurate. That's how many are presently in that. But it's more like 60% of our families have English as a second language. She said, it's the highest... In the county. <laughs> Sorry, no kidding. <laughs> wow. Just seven-tenths of a mile from this site. You have the highest percentage of English as a second language in the elementary grades. The question was asked, do you think God will hold us accountable? Well, Jesus said that we are to proclaim repentance, we proclaim forgiveness to the nations, and when the nations are around us, what excuse do we have? We don't even have to travel. We don't have to even worry about being jet lagged, paying money, passport. They're right here. They, they did that to come over here. May 1st, we're talking about the spring fling. Basically what it is, is, is we're looking at having a fun day on their campus. To start off with the men's ministry, they were talking about the men's great, God's great outdoors and decided, you know, let's do something where we can reach some more folks. Maybe we'll We'll start here on the church campus and, and through that with talking to the mission strategy team. And said, well, no, let's, let's check out Hodgewood Elementary. When we went to Hodgewood Elementary, uh, we started bringing to them. They had about uh, a handful of people involved in their PTA, a handful of a, a school. Of, of, you saw the number there of 700-some, a handful in their PTA. And so we come and start talking to them. Their, their mouths drop open and said, we would love for you to do this. A couple of them get a little teary-eyed. Nobody in our community has done this. So we have a huge opportunity to go in and create relationships with these families, the nations. What are we going to talk about? What's going to be our main focus? Yes, we're going to do the fun day. We're going to talk about having some good activities. and We're going to try to help them with the reading and various other things. But you know what it's all going to? It's going to to the discussion that maybe you could have with someone you've not yet met... And, to, and start talking to them about the value of turning to God and repenting and the beauty of forgiveness that they can experience a spiritual new beginning. But it's not just the ones that are nearby. I think if, if we're going to call ourselves a church, if we're going to call ourselves a church under the name of Christ, that that's the reason we exist. And then notice what he says. Well, in the name of Christ, we declare repentance. We declare forgiveness of sin. Does Green Pines really want to end without having a people group to claim? Do we want to see time end and our church exist and no people group has been touched by the gospel because of this, exist, because of this community? It seems as I read this passage, it seems very clear that we ought to lay hold of an unreached people group, wherever they may be, 
Pray for that people group as a church. And pray that Lord will lead upon our hearts and how to reach them. To point them to Christ. To show them the beauty of repentance and the beauty of forgiveness. But let me just state this. This is something I think we'll be praying about. But there's so many of you right now, you don't even have to travel. There's people around you. And God has told you through this passage, you're to declare repentance. You're going to declare forgiveness. But I'm going to tell you, you cannot declare and pronounce forgiveness without demonstrating forgiveness. That means you need to forgive some people. Whoever you do not forgive, you create room for disobedience because you cannot declare to them the gospel. Let me share with you a few things about forgiving. Jesus said that if you're going to love someone, you're going to do some stuff that may be difficult. You're going to have to bless them when they persecute you, pray for them. Let me just bring out this idea. People are going to hurt you. People are going to hurt you. And oftentimes, they'll have no reason to hurt you. It'll just be unjustifiable. What's Jesus doing on the cross? <laughs> what has he done to be put on the cross? Why are they hurting him? It's unjustifiable as to why they're hurting him, but they are. Listen, if Jesus is going to be our king, if we're going to follow him, understand that people will hurt you unjustifiably. It's going to happen. Sunday school teacher was trying to teach their children what they must do to, to obtain forgiveness of sin. He was asking the child... And, and the child said, well, here's what you've got to do to obtain forgiveness of sin. You've got to sin. <laughs> I was like, well, okay. Yeah, that's true. Hey, that's the fact of the matter. People are going to sin. And the people you love the most are still going to sin, despite the fact that you love them, which means that they will hurt you more. That's just life. It may be you have a dad who's deserted you, a mother who's treated you poorly. Maybe there's a teacher who humiliates you. Maybe uh, your child, your own children are rejecting you. Maybe it's a colleague who's betrayed you in some way or a friend who speaks lies against you or talks bad about you, slanders you. Maybe someone in the church who stabbed you in the back. Friends, you know what? That happens. Church is not exempt. Family's not exempt. School's not exempt. Your work's not exempt. People will hurt you. And listen, if we're going to declare the forgiveness of sin, if we're going to declare the repentance We can't take that seriously and Easter will have no effect in our life if we're not forgiving somebody. It's it's good to come all dressed up and to celebrate and sing the songs and to remember Jesus has risen from the dead. But the mandate of his resurrection means that you must forgive the people around you. If you're not forgiving them, just take your tie off. You know, just it's, it's hollow. It's hollow in our praise. When... When you'll be hurt, you'll be tempted to hurt them in return. That will be your natural tendency, to seek revenge. There are all kinds of ways we can do it. Start slandering them, talking bad about them, being really critical, condemning them. Talking harshly about them, your anger, physically attacking them. You could try to destroy their reputation before others. Still lie, dishonest, use your finances to hurt them. Then there are other ways that are not quite as aggressive as that. Maybe just ignoring them. I just, maybe they, I just act like they don't exist. I'll just go on my own way, you know. 
Oh, you have an inward motive of, of feeling superior, proud, self-righteous. You feel sorry for them all the time. I wish they were like me. You know? I wish they were as good as me. I just can't help it. I just can't help it. Or you think, well, maybe I'll just withhold love. That'll show them. <laughs> I just won't love them. I won't express love to them anymore. As if love is some kind of currency that you pay people with. Or withhold payment from. Jesus commands us to love everyone. Even our enemies. You understand that if we're not loving people, if we are holding in anger, it's like having a, a grenade in your pocket. and think, well, I'm not going to pull the pin. A grenade is always subject for explosion if you're not careful with it. And why do you want to keep it in your pocket if you don't want to explode yourself? Anger is like that. It's something you're keeping in your pocket, thinking maybe I'll throw it on them, but really it's more likely to blow up on you. It can destroy you. Failure to forgive hurts you more than anyone else. Hurts you more than anyone's. You understand that? The person out there is not thinking, oh, I wish they'd forgive me. They may not even know that they've hurt you in some way. And forgiveness involves leaving revenge in the hands of a faithful God. I think there's something to it when Jesus says, I commit my spirit unto you. It's yours, God. It's yours. Forgiveness, it's your responsibility. You're not going to wait for someone else to do it to you. It's your responsibility as a believer. Why? Because God has called you as a witness to declare repentance and forgiveness of sins. Listen. We may have to come to the point where we know as a country the terrorist attacks have been done. It may be that God has called you to witness to the same people that plots terrorist attacks. God may call you to love them. In fact, he has called you to love them. Understand that. We're not to hold that in and say... Those people deserve what they get when we send our military over there. Maybe they kill them all. We must, as believers, be the vessels of forgiveness and repentance. We proclaim it. We demonstrate it. You, it's your responsibility. It's a choice of your will. Do you understand forgiveness is something you just feel like doing? You don't feel like forgiving. It's something you choose to do. Why? Because there's Easter. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Because Jesus came upon Peter who, who he last heard cursing him and forgives Peter. He comes across Peter and James and John and the other disciples that left him and he says, look, we're going to declare forgiveness as I have forgiven you. You declare to others. It is something you choose to do. It is a releasing of a debt. To understand that they don't owe you anything anymore. They owe it to God, but they do not owe you. And then it's something you do by faith. It means you believe in God and that God is big enough to deal with the individual who's hurt you. It's something you, it is an expression of your worship, it is an expression of your trust in the Lord. To understand that God is the judge, that He is the jury, that He is the executioner, and you're not. To say, look, God, it's your case, not mine. As Romans 12, 19, God says, vengeance is mine, our pace is the Lord. But listen, we do this.
to glorify God. Forgiveness glorifies God. It is how you worship in spirit and in truth. If you do not forgive, if you withhold it, you are not glorifying God. You're putting it on yourself. You know what forgiveness does? It is to say, I am satisfied by God and God alone. When we don't forgive, here's what it is. I'm satisfied with God, and as long as this person repents, then I have joy. You add to God. And by adding to God, you subtract from God. And you do not worship Him. So as long as you have that condition, I'll be happy, I have joy, as long as this person repents. You've made them the source of your joy that belongs only to God. As witnesses of the resurrection, we have come across something so much greater. So much greater than whether someone got right with us. We say, you know what? That's, I hate that. I hate it happening. It hurts. It's painful. But you know, the highlight of my life is that Jesus rose again and he offers me forgiveness. And he offers me repentance. And he made me his witness. That is the highlight of my life. Whatever you do to me, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. Because I've experienced the highlight of my life. Listen, do you believe in God? Do you believe in resurrection? Jesus rose from the dead. It's expressed not by whether you shake your head, but it's expressed by how you forgive someone else. You understand that? You believe in an Easter? You believe in the resurrection? It's expressed not in just how you demonstrate forgiveness, but in what you declare. <laughs> to say to the nations, those around you, God's risen from the dead through Jesus Christ. And all scriptures point to it. And he offers you repentance and forgiveness. Will you turn to him and trust him alone? I encourage you to celebrate the resurrection this morning by forgiving someone today. Let's pray.